0: Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives, that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. Well, I wanted to have my friend Pastor Dave Damschroeder, come and be interviewed on the podcast to talk about being a Christian and running a business and how you apply biblical principles of stewardship to business management and money management. However, Pastor Dave is preaching this week, and he wants to use all of his time to study and think through what he is going to prepare and present before the Lord and before the congregation. So instead of interviewing Dave— I want to talk about a subject that I've been thinking on for many, many years, and I think this will be part of a bigger series at some point. I'm not quite sure what that's going to look like, but I want to introduce this concept today, and it seems to be particularly relevant because one of the marketing slogans that I've come across over the last few months, I think it started with the Super Bowl this past year, maybe a little bit before that. One of the marketing slogans that has become very popular in the year 2019 is basically this, you do you. And I think there was a hotel like hotels.com or travelocity.com or one of those like vacation travel sites was the first group that kind of promoted this, idea of you do you, and it showed, you know, uh, a couple of people doing very, what most would consider to be strange things on vacation, uh, dressing in strange outfits, not in a lewd or crude or immoral type of way, but just like, well, that guy's weird. But the tagline for the vacation site was, you do you, and we'll get you there. You do you, and we'll get you there. And over the past several months, I have seen this particular tagline come up in other forms of media, whether that's like Facebook posts or Twitter posts or other advertising campaigns. The prevailing idea of the age is, you do you. Now, to me... That's not very different than maybe the prevailing marketing campaign of about seven or eight years ago, which was YOLO, Y O L O, you only live once. So do whatever you want, do whatever makes you happy, do what feels good because you only live once. You do you is basically the same idea, just repackaged. And what does that idea really communicate? What does it really present? You do you. When you start to unpack the presuppositions, or like a presupposition, okay, a presupposition to define this is something that you assume to be true. It's a truth that you assume to be true without ever having confirmed or verified that that truth is true. Now we all make presuppositions about life. We all we make presuppositions about all kinds of things in life. Let me give you an example. If I introduce you to a friend of mine, Jack is a writer. What are you going to assume to be true about Jack? I think there's a lot of things you could assume to be true that may or may not be true. You could assume That Jack is such a good writer that he makes his living entirely by his written words. That he's such a good author that the royalties from his book sales allow him to have writing as a profession. That could be one presupposition about Jack. It may or may not be true. But if you thought that when I said, Jack is a writer, that's, that's an example of a presupposition. Now, here's what I think about. If I were to say, meet my friend Jack, he's a writer. My presupposition would be, that dude is really hungry, really skinny, and he's doing what he loves instead of what pays the bills. Because I have experience in English literature, I studied it in college, and I happen to know that a lot of people who are aspiring writers are, you know, not making a living with the written word. You could say Jack is a writer and assume that he writes books, but what if Jack is actually, what if Jack is actually a marketing writer and he writes slogans or jingles? So you see, you made the assumption that Jack is a writer of books, but really Jack is a writer of jingles. He loves to write jingles and that's what he does for fun. Maybe he does it for a living. There are all kinds of assumptions that you can make about Jack if all you know is Jack is a writer. They could all be true. They could all be false. You don't know because you haven't taken the time to ask the questions to prove that what you think is true is indeed true. You see, this is how presuppositions work. We cultivate presuppositions about people, about situations, about circumstances, all the time. We are constantly doing it, because that's how we evaluate information. That's how God designed us. When we hear information, we run it through a filter in our brain, and our filter in the brain says, here's, this, here's the truth that I already know, or here's what I believe to be true, or here's... Here's the foundational principles that guide my thinking. And when I encounter this information, I'm going to run it through my foundational principles and out pops the answer as to whether this is true or not true, whether I should invest heavily in it or invest lightly in it. Those are presuppositions. Everybody has presuppositions. So what do you do about that? Well, the key—the key to being a good logical thinker, the the key to being consistent in how you evaluate and approach information—is to do the best that you can to make sure your presuppositions have been proven to be true and are not just hanging out there in no man's land. You want your presuppositional thinking to be as accurate to a true standard as it could possibly be. You don't want any inconsistencies in your presuppositional thinking. And the fact of the matter is, even though there are many people who try hard to not have inconsistencies, we all have inconsistencies in some way, shape, or form. Check out last week's episode on biblical self-evaluation if you want to find out how to deal with those inconsistencies. Well, what does this have to do with the culture at large? What does it have to do with the title of this podcast, The True Truth? Now, before I go any further, I have to confess that I didn't come up with this idea, the true truth. That is something that a man by the name of Francis Schaeffer came up with in talking about Christian thinking and apologetics and how to evangelize to what he called the modern man. There is a truth that everybody thinks is true, but behind that truth is what is known as the true truth. And Francis Schaeffer defined the true truth as God's revelation to man. The Holy Scriptures are the true truth. The Holy Scriptures ought to be what informs and characterizes and transforms the Christian's presuppositions about life and about how this world operates. But there are many factors that prevent us from allowing the true truth to be the foundation of our thought platform. One of the greatest challenges is the culture that we live in. And I'm not just going to bash the culture in general, I think there are specific aspects of the culture that are more detrimental than others. I think there are certain ways of thinking that are prevalent in America that perhaps aren't as prevalent in other societies because of America's history, the development of thought, the system of justice that we have. Here's a couple of them. Number one, America. If you classically understand what America is, is a culture that glorifies individualistic accomplishments. It's the old, you know, we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and do better. We can overcome this problem because we are so good. It just takes hard work, ingenuity, grit, determination, and you can have your dream. I mean, that is American exceptionalism. The other part of that is, so the other side of that, which is the individual's self-determination, the other side of that is the, the freedom that our society provides to allow the individual space, for lack of a better term, space in which they can rise or fall. Space to attempt to do something which may succeed, or to attempt to do something and then fail. I think that attitude, that classic American, I'm going to do it myself and I'm going to do it my way, that plays a big role in cultivating one's presuppositions of truth. Because what have you done? Think about the logical conclusion of American exceptionalism. And I don't want to be mistaken as somebody who is bashing American exceptionalism. I certainly appreciate, and I am very thankful to live in a country where there are numerous, numerous freedoms that we can enjoy where, by and large, the government stays out of your life, doesn't tell you what to do or how to live, where we have freedom of expression, freedom of speech, freedom of religion. But if you take that American exceptionalism and you divorce it from a objective standard, a higher truth, really what I'm thinking about is, If you take American exceptionalism, that idea, and you divorce it from God's Word to say, you know, America is exceptional, but our efforts ought to go towards glorifying God with the freedom that we have and the resources that we have, rather than glorifying ourselves or just pursuing our own interests. If you take American exceptionalism and divorce it from the Word of God, the logical conclusion is you do you. See how we get to that? You do you. Why? Because you're free to do whatever you want. You're free to glorify yourself. You're free to pursue your own interests. You're free to do whatever pleases you as long as you're not hurting somebody else. That has become the standard. Do what pleases you as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. That has become the ultimate truth standard in our society. And we have used that particular standard as a slogan for two, maybe three generations now. You have the baby boomers with the cultural and sexual revolution of the 1960s. Then you have Generation X. Then you have the millennials. And I'm a millennial and I have kids. And so now we're coming up on a fourth generation. Who has been taught that, you know what? Whatever makes you happy is the highest pursuit and the chief end of life. Man, how different that is from the Westminster Catechism, which in its first question asks this, what is the chief end of man? And the answer from Scripture is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What would the American catechism say? The American cultural catechism say? What is the chief end of man? To enjoy oneself and to please yourself as long as you're here on this earth. To enjoy oneself and to please yourself as long as you're here on this earth. And as long as you don't hurt anybody, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? No, you know, people look at the Bible. People who are not believers, they look at the Bible and they say, that is just a book of rules. You have to follow all these rules. You have to follow this rule. You have to follow that rule. It takes away all your freedom. It takes away all your fun. It doesn't let you do anything. Yeah, but we have rules and laws for a reason. And God's reason—well, he has multiple reasons—but one of the reasons that God has given us rules and laws is to prevent heartbreak and personal pain. You think about that. Why does God value monogamy, a marriage between one man and one woman for life? What is not going to happen in that type of marriage? There's not going to be divorce. There's not going to be the introduction of sexually transmitted diseases because there have been multiple partners. There's not going to be chaos and confusion in the children who are raised in that type of a environment. No, God gives us this particular standard of monogamy, one man, one woman, together for life, because it is a benefit to mankind. One of the great benefits of marriage is how stable it makes society. I mean, we joke about it now. Well, you know, now that you're out of your mid-20s, it's time to settle down and get married. Well, what does that imply? When you say that to somebody, what does that imply? It implies that prior to marriage, you're wild. You're doing irresponsible things, probably taking risks with your health and the health of other people. But if you're going to settle down and get married, You're not going to be taking those risks. You're not going to be wild. You're going to have a different focus. God's not stupid, and God wants you to enjoy all the pleasures that he has given you to enjoy, but in the context in which he has decreed. So God is not saying, sex is bad, you can't ever have sex. No, sex is great, it's wonderful, but it's within the context of marriage that sex is its most wonderful within the context of one man, one woman for life, that is the best and truest fulfillment of that particular relationship that a person could have. Our culture is antithetical to that. Our culture doesn't like that idea because it, quote-unquote, limits your freedom. It limits your fun. Well, Satan... We know that he is an enemy to all things that God has decreed. He wants to undermine the systems that God has put into place. And he started with Eve in the garden. And he started like this. Did God really say? Did God really say? Did he really mean that, Eve? Maybe you didn't hear that quite right. Maybe you... Misinterpreted. Maybe instead of thinking about what's God's best interest, you ought to think, Eve, about your own best interest. So, where are we going with this discussion? Well, here's where we're going. We are looking at this concept of the true truth and why it is important to have a truth that is objective rather than a truth that is subjective. And how American exceptionalism, while it is a great and noble idea, once it is divorced from an objective standard of truth, it results in all kinds of blasphemy. It results in all kinds of debauchery. It results in all kinds of wickedness, and people think they're doing something that's wonderful and loving and self-fulfilling. But the reality is people are really, really hurting. There's a reason that the LGBT community has a suicide rate that is three to five times higher than the average population if you take it on a per capita basis. Why? Because that is not a fulfilling lifestyle. Everything inside of people, everything inside of people says that's not right. It's not natural. God placed... That inherent understanding within individuals, but as Paul explained expertly in Romans chapter 1, through the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures, men rejected God. They suppressed the truth of God in unrighteousness and wickedness. And what men desired to do then is to make gods in their own image, gods in the image of fallen man, or God in the image of a winged creature, or God in the image of a four-footed animal. And they made gods who would accept their sin and their wickedness. And God says that knowledge about himself, knowledge about the true creator, is present in every person. And yet men, in their wickedness, suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And after they do that for so long— Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, God gives them over. God gives them over to do that which is not good. And when I say not good, I'm talking about it's not in according with God's good plan. That's not what God wants for those people. But because they rebel, and they rebel, and they rebel, and they continue to sin, and they continue to to challenge God's authority and to reject the truth that they know about God, God says, all right, that's fine. I will allow your depravity to take over. I will allow you to wallow in the consequences of your depravity. And He gives them over. And so God, when He gives them over, allows them to be deceived by the great deceiver by the one who is a liar and the father of all lies. And Satan is a masterful liar. He has convinced people that doing what is harmful for them is indeed what is best for them. It's as the prophet Isaiah wrote, the people of the nation of Israel, they call evil good and good evil. How do they get to that point? There has to be another force. There has to be another person. And that person, that force, that creature is Satan. He is the prince of the power of the air. He is the father of this world. And God, in his sovereignty, has allowed Satan free reign. I shouldn't say a free reign, because Satan is limited. He can't do anything that God doesn't let him do. But by and large, God has allowed Satan to conduct affairs in this world as he desires. And Satan has promoted, presented, and promulgated some fabulous lies, and people are taken in by those things. Because when people are self-centered, when people reject objective reality, objective truth, they become a god unto themselves they become their own measuring standard and if somebody is their own measuring standard who are you who are you to tell them that they're wrong yeah it's really interesting as you as i or you look at the current political discourse i don't know how much you follow politics i i i do enjoy listening primarily Uh, because I'm interested in how the major thought patterns of the society are going. And what I find most fascinating is there is a lack of intellectual honesty. Let me say that again. There is a lack of intellectual honesty from those who are, I would say, progressives or left or however you want to describe it, when it comes to debating issues that are important and relevant to culture? How is there a lack of intellectual honesty? Well, I can guarantee you if one of them hears this podcast, they would say, well, you're just a homophobic. Well, what have they done in doing that? Have they really put forward the intellectual... Work required to understand the argument of what I'm saying? Or did they just hear me say, you know, that the LGBT community um, has a higher suicide rate than the average population per capita, and they say, well, because you said that, now you're homophobic. Or because you stood and repeated what the Bible says about homosexuality, you're a homophobic. What does that mean, homophobic? It means that you fear people who are gay. I don't fear anybody who's gay. I'm not afraid of them. In fact, I have a great deal of compassion for them. I had the opportunity when I was in my undergraduate studies to know two or three people and have some deep conversations with them who were homosexuals. And it was sad. In my, from my perspective, it was sad because they were really, really trying to find themselves. And they thought that sexual identity was their primary identity. And that if they could only be accepted for their sexual identity, that everything else would be well in their life. And you know, that's a short-sighted view of life, that your sexual identity is all that you are. Now, I'm not afraid or scared Of people who are gay. But I will say this the Bible condemns all sinners, and God has classified gayness as a sin. And so there is a real urgency for all sinners to come to a knowledge of the truth and repent. And I think especially for those who are homosexuals. Why don't we, in our churches, in our podcasts, in our discussions with others, why don't we emphasize these other sins as much? I don't know. It seems to be that the culture and the one who uh, I think is controlling the winds of the culture, Satan, is pushing the LGBT agenda so far that that's you know the primary battle point at this particular juncture i think in the last 6 months in our culture in america if you've been following the news you can see that the issue of abortion and when does life begin and how do you determine who gets to choose who lives and who dies that has become another hot button issue when you know i i can remember there were, there were months and years that would go by without even talking about abortion, except uh, when it came time to discuss presidential candidates' position on the issue. But now it's like every day, every other day, it's in the news. People are thinking about it. People are trying to determine, well, when does life begin? H- how can we know that? That's where you have to get back to What is true truth? There is a fabricated truth made up by Satan. It is a world system. It is a way of thinking. It is antithetical. That means it is against or opposed or opposite of what God says. And that truth is a fabricated truth, but it is a truth that literally billions of people are holding on to and trusting in and hoping that it is the correct truth. But there is another truth, what Francis Schaeffer called the true truth, as I have already explained, that says, no, no, no. You can't hold these positions. You can't believe like this because then everything is upside down. Everything is on its head. The world doesn't make sense if you hold those positions. And so you have to get back to the true truth. Who defines what man is? Who defines where man came from? Who defines where man is going? If you want to answer that question by saying, well, it was a big bang in evolution, then I don't want to hear you complain ever about injustice of any kind. Because if you're truly an evolutionist and you believe that the strong survive, then let there be injustice. Let the strong survive. Do what's right for you and don't worry about anybody else. But if you want to tell me, no, there is injustice in the world. No, there, there is unfairness. There is unkindness. There, there is a lack of love and, and a true hatred of mankind that some people foist, upon others. If you want to tell me that, then, then you have to acknowledge that there's a spark of divinity that put that there in you. You didn't get that from evolution. You got that because you were made in the image of a holy creator. You got that because you inherently, intrinsically understand principles of fairness, justice, and righteousness because you were made in the image of the one who is completely and totally fair, the one who is 100% just, and the one who is absolutely righteous. I think for believers, I'm assuming that primarily believers are listening to this, if you name the name of Jesus Christ, when you are talking to people, whether it's people in your church or Maybe it's a co-worker or somebody who's an unbeliever. You have to be able to get to the point where you can talk about the true truth. It is an objective truth. It is a truth that is timeless. It is a truth that is found in the Word of God. Now, I understand people have a lot of baggage when it comes to the Bible because the Bible is a difficult book to understand, but it's not difficult to understand at the same time. Right? It, it, it's both simple and difficult. I mean, Jesus himself said, For God so loved the world that he sent his only unique Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. I mean, God wants people to understand how they can be saved. God wants people to understand how they can have a right relation with him. God wants people to understand that his love is great, but the requirements are also great. You have to give up yourself. Give up what you love. Give up your time, your energy, your efforts, sometimes your resources in order to take up your cross and follow Jesus as God commanded. So, you know, the Bible is simple, but it's also difficult. There's a lot of hard things to understand. Peter said that. Our brother Paul, at the end of his second letter, writes, Our brother Paul writes many things that are difficult to understand. Even the apostle Peter had a hard time understanding some of the truths that his brother in Christ, his fellow apostle, Paul, was writing. That doesn't mean it's impossible to understand, but it's difficult. It requires mental work and effort. Learning the true truth, studying the true truth, coming to an an understanding of what true truth is, yes, that does require mental energy, mental effort. And in our culture where it's like, hey, What's the latest thing that got tweeted? What's the latest Facebook post? How can I, oh, I just have to go down through here and hit hit the heart button a couple of times, you know, like this, like that. Now I feel good about myself. And if somebody, you know, likes my dog photo, then I feel good about myself. But we make it so easy to live totally divorced from the reality of life. Are your presuppositions based in true truth, or are your presuppositions based in a a false truth, a subjective truth, a truth that is a moving target truth? You know, that, that that's really, I think that's really the question that each of us needs to answer. And if you've been a believer for a long time, if you're a mature believer, yeah, you you probably have a good idea of what the true truth is. But you really think about that. How how is the true truth impacting your presuppositions about life? How is it impacting your priorities? How is it impacting your your thought life? The way that you make decisions and prioritize different things in life. There's always need for refinement. Whether you've been a believer for one year, one month, or ten years. That's why we go back to the Word of God. We spend time thinking, studying, meditating, praying, asking God to reveal to us the areas of weakness, the areas of strength, the areas in which we need to grow, so that, as Paul says, we might be able to present every man mature in Christ. I mean, that's the goal. You want to become like Jesus Christ. you got to think like Jesus. Then you have to know the Word, because Christ is the Word. Well, the true truth. It's a concept that's really radical for our culture, but it's been around for a long time. Maybe it's a way that you can interact with a fellow unbeliever. Ask him, "What do you think is true truth? How do you define truth? How does that comfort you? You know, based on your definition of truth, how does that provide comfort and consistency in your life?" Maybe it'll be a springboard for evangelism or relationship building. These are things that I'm still thinking through. I mean, I've been thinking about this for 12, 13, 14 years since I first read some of Francis Schaeffer's work. But it seems that our culture is going faster and faster and faster at a pace that is trying to erase any Judeo-Christian ethic or any Judeo-Christian thought pattern and so it becomes even more important right now to know what the true truth is, to determine to practice the true truth, and to make sure that you, you're standing on the true truth because it is the foundation for life and godliness. Well, thanks for spending this time listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would encourage you to go to your podcast app, and uh, just open up uh, the app and click five stars for this podcast. Just rate it five stars. That'll help it come up in the search engine for other people to find and be blessed as well. I want to give special shout-out and thanks to uh, S. Lore Music Group for their production work on this podcast. You can find them on Facebook at S. Lore Music Group. I currently serve as a pastor at the Grace Brethren Chapel, and you can check our church out on the web at www.gbchapel.org. If you want to provide any thoughts or feedback, just click on the uh, send mail link there and you can send, send mail to me and I'd be happy to address any comments or questions that you might have. Thank you so much and may God bless you as you seek to put his truth into practice.